Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And again, this show is for anyone that is passionate about health. Uh, if you're driven and have a purpose and, 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 and have a desire for impact in uh, even one person's life or many, uh, this show is for you. Uh, most importantly, I'm very excited to have Dr. Vig on the show. Dr. Vig focuses on digital health at Silicon Valley Bank. has a very vast background uh, that he will share, and he's going to share his passions and some trends and insights, but not to steal his thunder. Uh, Dr. Vig, thank you for joining us and great to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank Anthony. Thank you for the invites. Happy to be here. Um, so, you know, we'd love to dive right in and uh, tell you a story about my origin story and then kick things off and talking about trends, if that works for you. Amen. Great. No, that's so, great. That's great. Now I appreciate it. you know the format, and, and so it's always about you know let's 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 hear about the origin story and where, where you where you started. Um, so yeah, love love to hear about it. Yeah, let's dig into it. So professionally speaking, I started off in the academic world with a PhD postdoc in computational biophysics with a focus in predictive algorithm development. And it was actually during my postdoc that I realized. You know, what I really love about science was the problem-solving side of it, in that every medium you work in lends itself to different types of problems, and that while the academic world lends itself to very specific types of problems, I personally wanted to work on bigger problems. And I realized I could do this in the startup world. So after my postdoc, I moved out west to Silicon Valley and joined a venture capital fund where I had a portfolio in digital health and biosciences. And while there, I started working with entrepreneurs and residents to help them build their companies from the ground up. And during my tenure there, I actually had one successful digital health company launch that's currently in stealth mode in the respiratory illness. So fantastic learning experience. And so I started working with my the next entrepreneur in residence with a background in artificial intelligence and the product and business side. And I had the technical background. So we got along great. He was looking for a use case. So we started brainstorming together. And one day, this is a true story, sitting in Applewood Pizza in Menlo Park, uh, we landed on the primary care space in healthcare. And the reason for primary care was that we had both witnessed the struggle that people have with access to care within this country and around the world and how that varies geographically. So, for example, I grew up in a rural town in southern Illinois called Centralia, Illinois. Population just above 10,000. And I can tell you, Anthony, I've always had access to care. My primary care doctor is my dad's best friend. I just walked down four houses. When I go to the ER, the head nurse uh, is the mom of a classmate of mine from high school. So trauma room three was always open to, to some, one of our friends. Uh, the problem we had though in, in rural America was that if you wanted a specific procedure done or access to certain specialists, you had to drive 90 miles to the largest big city. For us, it was St. Louis. And that's a very different type of problem with access to care when you're thinking about an urban city like San Francisco or Boston, New York, where because of the high density of people, most people can't even get an appointment with the primary care doctor. And actually, you know, a couple of years ago, the Washington Post had done a ran a story that had people in Boston having to wait 45 days just to get an appointment with their primary care doctor, which is insane. So we, we had we had this problem that we both knew about and we both realized, okay, this is the problem we want to fix. So, you know, let's go build this company. And it was at that time that the EIR, he actually ended up becoming the CEO. He offered then for me to become a co-founder of the company. And I was like, look, this is a great way to learn about company creation through the lens of an entrepreneur. I've seen it only through the lens of an investor. So let me take that dive. So I transitioned then from the uh, VC world into the ham and cheese diet that I'm sure you're familiar with of the entrepreneurial world uh, and, and co-founded a, a digital health company. And our company was focused on 
an alternative care delivery model for primary care. And we use a very specific type of predictive artificial intelligence called explainable AI. So for our listeners, the high level being that is that in healthcare, you're dealing with the treatment of someone's life, right? And providers are never going to listen to a computer make a suggestion when that suggestion comes from a black box. So what you need to do is figure out a way to get after the underlying mechanism of a model's prediction. And in the nutshell, that's explainable AI. And that's what we were working on doing within the primary care space. So being the technical guy, then I worked with our research partners in developing the algorithm, as well as you can imagine being an entrepreneur, as you know, you're wearing multiple hats at all times, right? So you're getting a crash course in product strategy, business development by sourcing partnerships with hospital systems and primary care clinics, or recruiting either board members for the advisory board or internal people to come join the team. So I got a crash course in all of it. It's definitely one of the best learning experiences of my life. Uh, you know, life doesn't always go as planned. And sometimes as an entrepreneur, you don't get the exit you want, we get the exit you need. So after the startup, I came and joined mm-hmm. Silicon Valley Bank, which is where I'm at now, part of their strategic advisory and insights team, where I focus on the digital health vertical. So for our listeners who haven't heard of the bank before, we've been focused on the innovation uh, ecosystem for 30 plus years. And the bank roughly has 50% market share in VC-backed companies. So one of my favorite aspects about the bank mm-hmm. is that we span the innovation ecosystem. So for example, in healthcare, we work with early and late stage companies, as well as healthcare specific investors or tech investors that want to get into healthcare or even larger healthcare corporates that want to know what's going on in the startup world. And that's my current job is that I get to go meet with everyone in the healthcare ecosystem, learn their wants, needs, and then leverage the bank's vantage point to understand, okay, here's the current trends in healthcare are that's happening here's what actually the trends that no one has realized yet that we should be looking after and let's turn around and use all that information to help the entrepreneur grow their company to be successful so it's a highly rewarding place to work nice nice well dr big that this is great and exciting and you know great great to hear your background on the on the founder side, and I, I know for founders, you know, founders like me always appreciate uh, VCs that have been in the trenches as well. Um, and um, and you have a vast background at you know Stanford Research Institute, Johns Hopkins. Um, it sounds like you have a lot of passion for it for AI algorithms. But you know, of what you're working on and what you're seeing, what are some? Maybe you can talk a little bit about what has you you know super passionate. You know, whether it's it's um, you know AI or not, but just love. Maybe you can share that with the audience on like you know specific domains or areas and what's going on in health today that have you um, you know really excited. Yeah, I would love to. So let's you know break it down. I think there are things that are exciting that's happening on you know the business strategy side of things and the business model side of things, and it's also have exciting things happening on the tech side of things. So let's break this down and start with just the business side of things, right? And one of the things that's, that's pretty exciting is the fact that employers have gotten into the game. Right, uh, partnering with startups so that it can use those startups' products and services to reduce the healthcare costs of their employee. And right, and one of the, mm-hmm. the great things about this is that when companies in the private sector have gotten into the game, that means we're going to start seeing change happen sooner rather than later, which is just a consequence of private sector moving faster than other organizations, right, or things like in the government sector, right? We typically move faster here. Mm-hmm. And a great example of this actually is the Amazon, JP Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway outfits where you know you hear those three names uh companies together you think okay three comma club but you know what are they doing in health and you and you, and you step back and you go oh you know between the three of them they employ seven hundred and fifty thousand people in the united states alone which was in back of the envelope math that's 7.5 billion in healthcare costs 
for their employees, which in absolute terms is a big number, right? 7.5 mm-hmm. billion. And those guys aren't alone. Corporates in general across the board, right, support about 50% of the U.S.'s population in terms of healthcare costs. And what we're seeing is that major corporates across the board are investing in and actually partnering with digital health startups. And uh, the Insights team at SVB just released our quarterly report called State of the Markets, where we have a slide on digital health that looks at the geographic variation within digital health startups and how corporates within certain geographies are partnering with and supporting those companies. So I'm happy for our listeners today uh, to you know, provide the link for you so that you can put in the description so our listeners they can see our analysis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Vic, on the employer side, yeah, the Amazon uh, healthcare is going to be an interesting phenomenon, but Maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, the economics, right? So is it, is it still like, you know, self-employed organizations, um, you know, are, are looking for digital solutions to make their employees healthier so that their claims costs can come down and their claims are not rising? Is that the economic? And if so, maybe you can describe that a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think actually, you know, you're right. That's where they're going to start is with self-employed, employed, uh, self-insurers. And you know, I think you nailed it. That's yeah. yeah no worries. No, that I think I, I think that's that's the trend that we you, you know, we hear a lot on. And uh, you know, full disclosure, yeah. You know, um, my company, Health Hero, we do uh, you know employer well being as well. And, and and but but long story short, that's the interesting dynamic that we see on the employer side. Um, aside from the employer side, what other domains have you passionate these days um, that you're seeing? You know, there's so many new things coming out with genomics and and uh you know obviously svb does does a, does a lot of, you know in, in different spaces mainly in digital but any any other top um you know points in health that you want yeah, to go I, deeper I on? on the tech side right so we talked about the business model side uh let's talk about the tech side of things and i think what we're you know seeing just a simple statement is that the crossover of technology to solve problems in healthcare it's going to keep continuing Right. Tech and healthcare is here to stay. We're just going to see more of it. And, you know, let's give some examples here. So I think, you know, when we think about AI and healthcare, which you know, we've all we've all heard about, um, honestly, I don't see it solving everything. Uh, there are specific problems that I think it's a really good tool at to, to uh, use. And one of the, the great things it can be used for mm-hmm. is to create longitudinal patient profiles from an aggregated data set. Uh, that is, you know, a time series of data mm-hmm. instructing that patient's profile to say, here is what their patient journey was to the healthcare system. I think machine learning and AI, they're fantastic at that. And there's, you know, there's a very good example of an exit within that space of Flatiron Health that was doing that within the oncology space and subsequently got bought by Roche for over a billion dollars. So, you know, AI and healthcare, that's something that we all know about, but let's, you know, talk about something that we might not have all heard about. Uh, in the room and that I would point to differential privacy, which is a technology that allows you to measure how privatized a data set is. And in healthcare, we run into this problem where we have to use data sets to prove out our efficacy of our algorithms, right? And we need patient level data in order to do that. Now, what we what ends up happening historically is those data sets are privatized, anonymized, and then we have to go through long ethical review board processes that take nine to 12 months in order to get access to that data, either from a data broker or from CMS. So differential privacy is actually a mathematical way of measuring how privatized the data set is. And then once you know how privatized it is, you can inject random noise into it to make it more privatized. And of course, there's some upper limit of you want to inject too much noise to 
ruin your model's predictions. But by doing that and making that measure, being able to incorporate differential privacy, you can further anonymize a data set, which allows us then to potentially, when this is working, get access to patient level data sooner rather than later, right? And that's a step towards doing real-time data analysis. Mm -hmm. And differential privacy, it already exists, Anthony, in the tech world. So you have larger companies like Google, uh, Apple, and Uber are all using on the tech side. You see tech startups, in the retail space, I know are using it. It hasn't really crossed over in the healthcare startup world. However, if you go through and you look at differential mm-hmm. privacy applications in healthcare in the academic world, in the past few years, we're seeing a uh, number of publications and patents have doubled in that past few years, just about differential privacy in healthcare. So mm-hmm. for me, someone who's, you know, whose job is to read trends, I'm saying, okay, this might be coming sooner rather than later. And when it crosses over, before we start all rolling our eyes at it, like we do at blockchain right now, let's you know say, okay, there's a clear value proposition and a goal that this mm-hmm. technology can be used in the healthcare space. Let's get prepared for it. So when it does cross over, we can capitalize on it in an effective manner. Interesting, interesting. And, and Dr. Big, let, let me ask you a little bit on the underlying systems, right? So you have all this data that you can access and you know potentially run predictive models on the data, but you know, as you know, in the hospital setting, providers and payers sometimes aren't on the same systems, not on the same EHRs. A lot of this data is, is in the EHRs. Um, any any trends, insights that you're seeing on being able to access the data more efficiently, or do, do you have any theses that you know any new digital tools need to integrate with the EHR, or you know any any thoughts on systems yeah. and, and the workflows yeah, fan, and access? Fantastic the data question. To get access to the yeah, no, fantastic Security. question. And I think this is where cloud computing and cloud-based uh, storage systems are going to play a key role. And is that, you know, as we move towards mm-hmm. a patient-centric organizational structure with healthcare, I know patient-centric care is something we all read about and see about, but when you think about it from an organizational standpoint, given all the different stakeholders that exist within healthcare, you know, when we move to patient-centric, what does that mean in terms of organizational structure with stakeholders as well as technology. Mm-hmm. And I think what that's going to mean is that you'll start seeing, you know, companies like the Googles, the the Microsofts, the, the AWSs of the world, or even startups that are, you know, looking at building a cloud-based infrastructure to allow for data aggregation. Those guys are going to start working with uh, the providers, right? So you can imagine a scenario where you are a provider uh, and you're then sending your data to a cloud. So you have data flow going that way. Now it's not going directly to an insurance company. The insurance company is actually going to the cloud in order to get it. In the future, or where we currently have wearables, mm-hmm. right? So for example, I have an iPhone and an Apple Watch. All of that data is also going to be uploaded to the cloud, right? So now I have information from the providers going into the cloud, information from my smart devices and wearables going into the same cloud. I have uh, whatever the insurance companies reimbursing me from the claim going into the cloud and all that data is being aggregated with the cloud. And this goes back to my earlier statement about, you know, one of the great tools for machine learning that are one of the things that machine learning can be used on with healthcare is taking aggregated data and structuring it. And I think, you know, when we talk about infrastructure within mm-hmm. healthcare, you're going to have data that's flowing to a cloud. It's going to be disparate coming from all on different sources, but that is when we're going to start utilizing machine learning algorithms to just connect the data, not make predictions right off the bat, just connect it, create the longitudinal patient profiles that you need, and then go from there. And if I you know, think about it even further, I would say, okay, I have data mm-hmm. within a cloud, 
in a cloud. I've structured it. Now what I can do is I have the structured information right within healthcare. I need to get reimbursed so I can send it then to the people that cut the checks or either CMS or the state, depending on what patient population I'm in, or I need to send it to the insurance company or I want to send it back to uh, my device or back to my provider. And in order to securely send that data and address the interoperability, you know, don't, hopefully not everyone will roll their eyes when I say this, but blockchain could be one solution. Uh, to that problem, right? I'm not going to say it is the solution or right. the only solution, but addressing right. interoperability, you know, blockchain is, that's what it's meant to do. Uh, I don't think you can do it today yet. Maybe in a couple of years, right. but, you know, this goes back to my, my statement of, you know, there's a lot of noise that happens, a lot of hype that happens in the industry. So let's take a step back. Do we think about what the goals and value propositions are and the problems are within the industry on the data side? And you can very clearly see that, yes, machine learning has a clear value add in terms of structuring data, blockchain for addressing interoperability, and the new one, in my mind, that could be coming, differential privacy on being able to anonymize further a patient's identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty interesting, right? And and so it's it feels like there's a lot of coordinated efforts that need to occur with the different vendors that are big and small that only do certain pieces of this puzzle, right? The, the, the digital identity providers, right? The, you've got the, the Amazons, the AWSs of the world, the Google Cloud Storage, right? You've got, you know, now those services that are opening up and creating blockchain type services, but, you know, they don't have access to all the payer data and the, and the payers don't have, have access to the provider data, which is on EHRs. Um, so it feels like there's a lot of these data sources everywhere, but maybe you can, I'd love, I'd love your thoughts on how, um, how these systems not necessarily need to talk, but you made a comment earlier on there's some innovations in business modeling and love to hear your thoughts on business, the, the, the latest business modeling side of things. And, you know, does that bear an opportunity to, to create, um, a, a more cohesion of these different players and systems talking to support the yeah, latest absolutely. business models, right? Cause you've got center for Medicaid and Mer- Medicaid services, right? So maybe I'd love your comments on, on business modeling, yeah, I, I, how that relates yes, absolutely. to so systems. I think what you're going to start seeing is that, you know, what I just described is not going to happen at uh, the systems level first, uh, just because like you said, right? The too many big players, things are start moving slow, but right. this is where startups now are going to play a key role where I have, you know, the in San Francisco, at least, we have the one medicals of the world that's in the primary care space that's doing innovation there. And I think that that type of company can actually start utilizing that, what I'm saying, with sending data to a cloud much sooner. So when I'm looking at startups that are, you know, uh, bridging the gap between the provider and the payer and aligning those incentives, I think those guys might start adopting these types of technical solutions and building out the infrastructure just for their small patient population first before we actually see it happening at scale, if that makes sense. So I think that when I look at these startups that are that are, that are innovating within mm-hmm. the provider Absolutely. space, within the payer space, that are bridging those gaps, aligning those incentives, those are the guys that are gonna have, they're gonna be able to more quickly use these types of technology for their patient population, sort of prove out that efficacy at that scale. And then over time, you know, in several years, decades maybe, you'll start seeing it happening system-wide. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Great to hear your insights about, about what's going on. It doesn't feel like it's, uh, 
it's it's going there. Um, really interesting times, right? I, I mean, it's it's not just it feels like it's it's not just um, you know innovations on the payment side or the business model side, um, or or just on the computing side, but it's like a societal shift as well, you know, of, of what's going on, the consumerization of everything. It, it's exciting. I think the possibilities are endless, but it gives you, you some know, hope for the future. Uh, you know? It's exciting times. Yeah. You're right. A behavioral change has to occur. And I think the companies that are going to see the most success or have seen the most success, I'll say, are the ones that realize, depending on where you are in the country, in the United States, healthcare is different. And the needs and the wants of the people are different. And, you know, that's just the product of I've been in both urban environments and also in rural America. And I've seen different things. In, in my town, we don't really have Uber. We don't need it because everything is so close. Um, and I think that's one of the things that within healthcare that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people on the coast now have started realizing that middle America is a large part of the country. And that's where a lot of the high healthcare costs come from. So when to start looking inward into the middle part of the country and realize their healthcare needs are different than what you have on the coasts. And that sort of goes back to my earlier statements I was saying about my own experiences, with my own company about looking at how access of care, even though it's the same word, it has different definitions depending on where you are within the country. Mm-hmm. No, this is it's super super exciting, and and yeah, we really appreciate this perspective that you're bringing here. Um, you know, typically how we uh, usually, as you know, end these episodes is really uh, you know more like future focus, right? Future focus, forward looking statements. But from your perspective, what has you excited about the future and in, in health? Um, what are some things that you believe that maybe other people, you know, or, or other people may not believe, but. Um, have not been proven yet, or what are some things in health that people might think you're crazy for thinking? Um, love to yeah, hear yeah, about. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Sort of uh, um, sort of the freedom to be share. opinionated right now, and I'll go with you know, go, I'll text here to stay, um, and that you're going to have continued crossover of different types of technologies, you know, physical mathematical type algorithms within healthcare. Um, it's not going anywhere. Everything's going to become digitized. And what I mean by that, not in just, uh, you know, the operational or disease management type of spaces that we see within healthcare, but it, you know, you're going to start seeing it within biopharm, um, with smart codes. You're going to start seeing it within, uh, you already start seeing it with medical devices, right? You have mm-hmm. traditional, uh, traditional medical devices that exist right now, but you also have in your hybrid medical devices that are your, are your remote monitoring systems. Um, you can start seeing it with more diagnostic tools companies where everything is moving towards digital one way or another. And, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the statement of that. I think every technology, well, I mean, not every technology, but at least the majority of these technologies, uh, what's going to happen is there's a hype cycle where every, every time they come in, they're going to be said they can solve everything. And then, right, most, a lot of things fail <laughs> um, through trial and error. And then some of it makes it, right? And I think that, you know, mm-hmm. at least one of the things that we try and do with an SVB, and I think, you know, the industry is now trying, has gotten better at is saying, okay, before we get lost in the hype, let's actually start thinking about what are the problems and what are these solutions uh, that these technologies are providing. And before we get caught up in the hype, you know, let's actually get into this much early on so we don't waste, you know, a couple of years down the road, you know, trying something and, and failing at it. Because at the end of the day, right, healthcare is very different than the tech world. Um, it's much more personal. You're dealing with someone's life. You want these things to work on day one. Um, whereas in, in the tech, in the technology world, in absolute terms, you always have iterations with your different products. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, the digital movement is, is, is definitely here and yeah, you could, you definitely see the cycles, you know, come through when innovation is happening in the digital space, but, um, no, lots of, lots of great possibilities for the future. And so really appreciate this, Dr. Vig. Um, Dr. Vig, you know, um, yeah, this was great, you know, having you on the show for you to share your insights, your background, your origin story. Most, most importantly, you know, the tip of the tip of your, your mental model of thinking of, you know, how we should be thinking about AI, digital, uh, you know, innovation in health. So really appreciate this, Dr. Vig. Um, what would be a good way for our listeners to engage with you? If they're, oh, yeah, they're uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, it's Drew Vig. Uh, and I can actually provide you uh, when we, mm-hmm. with, with additionally in the, in the comments section with our analysis, uh, my email address at SVB. And you know, feel free to reach out to me with any questions, comments, concerns. I love geeking out, geeking out about healthcare um, and, you know, over coffee, drinks, over the phone. So feel free to reach me. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Vig, this was great. Really appreciate that. And then as you do further trend uh, analysis and, you know, every quarter or two, love to have you back on the show, you know, maybe you can share what you're, what you, what, um, you know, at least high level public information that, that is public that you can share about your research and, and analysis. But, uh, Dr. Vig, this was great. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, for all our listeners out there, again, this is the Pop Health Show episode, I think 32, maybe. (laughs) We'll see. But um, long story short, this is for anyone uh, passionate about making anyone healthier in this world. So thank you so much, everyone. And, And thanks again, Dr. Vig. Much appreciated.